This is Jessica Pate, your host for Brave Together podcast. I am here to serve, encourage, and inspire you in your journey as a special needs mom. This is your tribe. This is your community, your place to be reminded that you are not alone. Follow along as I share stories, inspiration, and resources just for you. Hi, friends. We're going to start part two of Managing Our Anxiety with Danelle Newnham, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Oklahoma. And part one, she talked about three things in our life that we can do to reduce reduce our baseline anxiety that we experience on a daily basis. And it was exercise, journaling, and talking to a friend or therapist who can really have uh, external perspective on the things that we ruminate about, things that we worry about, things that feel like our truth that we need to uh, switch. So we're going to go ahead and start with part two. Welcome to now. Thank you. I'm glad to be back with you guys. So yeah, today I wanted to talk about kind of the physical impact of chronic stress and anxiety over time. So in order to really understand the impact of stress on our bodies, we need to understand, first of all, why do we even have anxiety? (laughs) That's a big question that people ask me all the time. Like, why, if this is such a problem, why do we have this? Well, really it's not. And I think this is a bit of a paradigm shift, but anxiety in and of itself is not bad. It's actually a survival instinct that is built in biologically to all of our, uh, our brains so that it helps us to be protected in a dangerous situation. So for example, if you are being chased by a bear, thankfully that doesn't happen very often anymore, but (laughs) if we were being chased by a bear, I promise you, you want to have some anxiety going on (laughs) because you, the fight or flight actually helps you survive. It's an intense rush of adrenaline and cortisol and your lungs expand and your muscles use quick energy. And so there's just so many different physiological things that happen in a very quick time when you're in a life-threatening situation. And so those are not bad things that happen. The problem is that we are not being chased by bears and our body still perceives danger, even if it's a psychological stressor. Yes. And so, you know, this is where the accumulation of stress hormones without any means of disposing of them can actually have really bad consequences on your body. So when I say means of disposing, what I mean by that is, just by definition, fight or flight means that you're going to be expending a lot of energy. You're either going to be fighting that dangerous thing with everything you've got, or you're going to be running for your life. So as you can imagine, in either of those scenarios, you're really expending a lot of physical energy and really utilizing every bit of that adrenaline and cortisol and all those stress hormones that have built up. It sounds exhausting, Danelle. I mean, I, yes. it, it, I mean, you're expending so much. No wonder people who battle anxiety are just mentally and physically fatigued. Absolutely. I feel like anxiety, really any kind of emotional distress is way more exhausting than any type of physical exertion could ever be because it's constant. It's just with you all the time, right? So that's a really good um, insight there, Jessica, and it's absolutely true. Um, and so, you know, as you get that accumulation over time and there's no, uh, means of, of getting rid of those stress hormones, it, it starts to increase your blood pressure. It can contribute to heart disease. It can cause weight gain. It weakens your immune system. I mean, and these are all just physical 
ways that it impacts you. This has nothing to say about, you know, the psychological ways that it impacts you and relationships and just your ability to, to function through the day. As when we talk about anxiety, there's a huge spectrum of variation in terms of intensity, right? So we talked last time about the pain scale and how we, I kind of insert the anxiety into that. So we call it the anxiety scale, right? Yes. Yes. An analogy that I like to use is if you picture riding a roller coaster, you sit Mm -hmm. down, you get strapped in and initially right at the front end, there's always a hill. (laughs) So, right. I know. I don't know why that is, but there is. So if you picture anxiety as that hill, so you kind of start chugging along. And then as you start to increase, um, in terms of going up that hill, what I want people to start doing is paying attention to right at the very beginning of the hill, the very first curve where you're starting to head up, Mm -hmm. there will be physical cues in your body to tell you something is happening here. We need to pay attention. So whether that's um, your heart starts racing or uh, sometimes your mind starts racing or you get sweaty palms. I mean, people have a lot of different or you feel like you can't get a deep breath. People have a lot of different symptoms that are associated with that. But the, the key is to figure out and identify your personal response to it because yours may be a little bit different than your friends or your sisters or your brothers or whatever. Right. And so when you can really nail down like, okay, this is what happens to me. My first, my first physical cue is that I feel like my heart starts pounding. And then the next one is I start to sweat. And then the next one is I feel like I can't breathe. And the next one is I feel like I need to get out of here like right now, you know, that kind of thing. Now, you know, okay, as soon as I feel my heart rate starting to increase, that's the time that I need to nip this in the bud. If that happens, what do you do? There's a couple super, super simple, practical things that you can do. And this is something that I walk through with people that struggle with panic attacks, because that is horrible. (laughs) If you've ever had one, they are literally one of the worst feelings that you could have. And so I try to help people interrupt the anxiety before it actually reaches kind of that tipping point. Like again, using the roller coaster analogy, there is a point on the top of the hill where the momentum of the roller coaster is going to pull you over. And then you just have to hang on for the ride. Like you're on it, you know? (sighs) And so with anxiety, we don't want to get to that point. And the higher up on the hill that you get, the harder it is to interrupt that. So that's why it's important to catch it on the front end. One, we talked last time about how the stress hormones start to accumulate in your body, right? And so any type of physical movement that you can do in the moment to increase your heart rate, and I'm not talking about like running a marathon, I'm saying like, even if it's a minute or two, if you can do jumping jacks or push-ups or do a, a couple squats or something, you know, just for a quick burst of energy, the goal is to increase your heart rate enough that you're a little out of breath. And what that does is it starts to eliminate some of the stress hormones. From a physical perspective, this will help you calm down pretty immediately. God, that's so counterintuitive because you would think that that might jack it up, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're going to get out of breath. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, I think, but it short circuits it. That's what it does. It It does. Okay. So from a physical perspective, it can absolutely. So then also we've got the psychological perspective, right? And this one is probably equally, if not more important to, to short circuit as well. One of the quickest ways to do that is, and this sounds so simple, but it works, is to count backwards by threes from 100. Let me tell you why that works. Because when you go into fight or flight, or you're starting to head into fight or flight, you are leaving what we call the frontal lobe of the brain, which is where 
all of your uh, decision-making happens, your conscious decisions, your emotional regulation, uh, your impulse control, all those things happen in the frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. So fight or flight does not happen in the frontal lobe. If you think about, you know, in my analogy of of what I used last time, if a bear is chasing you, you're not going to peruse your grocery list (laughs) while running from a bear because that is not relevant. And so basically all of the conscious thought kind of goes away because you are in survival mode. So nothing else matters. Like if you're running through the forest and you have no shoes on, it doesn't even hurt because that's not where your brain is focused, right? Mm. So what we want to do is get you back into the frontal lobe. And so by causing conscious thought and counting it forces your thoughts back into the frontal lobe. Okay. It sounds very simple, but I, I don't do it by twos because that's too simple. People have that all memorized. Oh, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But if you count by backwards by threes, you have to think just a little, and it's not too intense to where it, you know, you can't do it, but it just requires enough thought that it kind of starts shifting the energy back to the frontal lobe. Again, you could do that even if you're sitting in a meeting right? And you start feeling, or if you're at work or church or somewhere that you can't necessarily drop down and do 20 pushups, you could still count backwards by threes in your mind. Another one that is kind of physiological and mental, so this is a really good one, is doing some deep breathing because your breath will dictate your heart rate. Again, I I like to keep everything so simple. So I just say count in to to count to four as you breathe in, and count to four as you exhale. Mm-hmm. And it can be that simple. And I think mm-hmm. that typically within five or six breaths doing that, you start feeling your body calm down because your heart rate is starting to slow down. And again, that doesn't have to be something that anyone else knows you're doing. I heard Brene Brown talk about that, where mm-hmm. she makes a square on her leg. You know, it's four sides. Right. So taking a, de- a deep breath and counting to four, making the square. Oh, I love that. And then making the square again as you exhale, just yeah. to another step that sort of helps you focus. Absolutely. That's a kind yeah. of a good grounding exercise too. You know, it just keeps you right here present in the moment. That's great. I love that. When you're in the middle of a situation where you're feeling anxiety and panic, that is not the time for you to try to formulate some type of plan. on how to manage it (laughs) because you're not going to be effective in the moment to be able to do that. So the time to figure out what will work is before you actually need it. And it doesn't take a tremendous amount of time to kind of come up with a, a, a list that you can do, but you really need to have some type of, I, I always use the the note section on my phone because like who doesn't have their phone with them like 24 seven, right? right? So I say, make a list of about three or four things that you can intentionally shift your thoughts to that are not stressful, that are pleasant to think about, that kind of get you in a different frame of mind um, and that you enjoy kind of mentally rehearsing. As soon as you start going through this process, you do your deep breathing, Um, you count backwards. And as you start feeling your body kind of relax, intentionally shift your thoughts to something that is relaxing and positive. Mm. So that's one thing that you can do. And then another thing is, um, you know, like I like to shift into an activity like reading or watching TV. So it's almost like a mental distraction. Mm -hmm. So that whatever the trigger was that kind of got you amped up to begin with is something that you're not necessarily paying attention to in the moment. So any way that you can sort of shift your mind away from that, that trigger is a good thing. The last thing I'll say about this is I, I like to use a lot of visuals and analogies because I think it helps us grasp these concepts so much better. But, 
you know, I like to use the analogy of a boxer. If you were in a boxing ring or you're going to be in a a significant match, like you're going to fight the world champion in boxing, right? You're not going to show up and just be like, oh, well, look at that. I wonder how he fights. Like you're going (laughs) to get full awkward, right? So those people will watch videos and they will study their opponent and they will come up with counter moves to every move that they have. And they know exactly what they're walking into when they get there. There are very few surprises because they've spent a lot of time studying their enemy, enemy, quote enemy, right? Right. So in this scenario, I'm going to say, if anxiety is your enemy, we need to study it in terms of how it influences and impacts you personally. And then not only study it, but you need to come up with every a counter move to every single move of anxiety, meaning you do know what the cues are that your body sends you when you're starting to get amped up and you have a plan for how you're going to attack it so that it doesn't start controlling you, but rather you feel in control of it. As you start practicing these little techniques that we've talked about, the first time that you're able to actually keep anxiety from getting to where you feel out of control is like something to celebrate. I encourage people to celebrate that and figure out, okay, what exactly, break it down. What did I just do? Because that worked and I'm going to do it again. Then as you build this little history of success with yourself, one time after another, you start to gain the confidence that you can overcome anxiety and it does not control your life. And that's a really powerful place to, to be. Very powerful. Before you go, I want to ask you this question. I think I asked this when you were, um, our guest speaker for one of our support group meetings was when to medicate for anxiety. Yeah. How do you know that you're at the place where you absolutely need psychopharmacological intervention? Well, and I, I will say that I fully believe that there is a time and place for that. Uh, and I, first of all, there are events in life that create such intense anxiety and, and stress that it's very difficult for anyone to manage. Right. And we all know that there are extraordinary life, extenuating life events that can cause that. Um, so if you're in one of those, I just want to say right now, there is no shame in getting help. Even if it requires medication, I view medication as not the solution to the problem, but as a bridge to get across the problem if there's no other way around it. So if you envision a chasm that you can't figure out how to cross, build a bridge, you know? And so that can also include antidepressants. It can be anti-anxiety medications. Um, But my encouragement is do not look at that as the solution, but rather look at it as part of the long-term plan to recover from anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. how do you know when it's time? Um, If you find that you're having repetitive panic attacks and you cannot seem to manage it, or if you find that it is influencing and impacting your life to the degree that you're non-functional, you're just not able to engage in life the way that you want to Uh consistently for more than a month, then it's time to probably start looking for some type of intervention. Okay. I always feel like, you know, if you're going to medicate, you should also be looking into some type of therapy so that you develop coping skills, kind of like what we've talked about today, that you can also start strengthening and implementing in conjunction with medication. So again, it's not an an end in and of itself. Right. It's kind of a a means to an end, so to speak. Right. And would you also encourage any of our listeners that 
just because you do take medication at some point for your anxiety or anxiety and depression doesn't mean that you're always going to be on it. It doesn't mean that you're always going to need it. Absolutely. I mean, like I said before, I think, you know, typically we look at six month blocks. And so because it takes about a month for it to build up in your system, if you're talking about an antidepressant, it takes about a month for it to build up in your system to where you even really feel the benefit of it. And so, you know, you want to have a, a little chunk of time that it's actually benefiting you before you start trying to wean off of it. So generally speaking, six months is a good chunk of time to kind of initially set your mind on, like it's going to be at least six months. I think then, you know, beyond that, obviously you need to talk to your doctor and come up with some type of plan, but it's not a life sentence by any means. Um, it's just a bridge to yeah, help you get to the other side of mm-hmm. a very difficult scenario or situation. Right. right. Yeah. Well, that I love all your word pictures and analogies because I do think for me, it helps me really grasp the concepts. So I think that's also helpful as, you know, people are listening to a podcast to visualize those different images. So right. thank you for right. that. And yeah, uh, thank you for all this great information, Danelle. I You're so very welcome. It. And thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you, Jessica. I appreciate that. And I am extraordinarily amazed at the work that you're doing too. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you you so much. All right. Well, we will chat again another time. I will look forward to that. Thank you so much. I don't know about you friends, but these are definitely anxious times that we are living in. So I hope you got a lot out of Danelle's presentation today on managing our anxiety. And I think It's also helpful if we have a spouse who battles anxiety or if we have neurotypical children who battle anxiety on a daily basis. Thanks for listening today. And if you have not subscribed yet, please do so. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. It really helps us out. And if you're a mom out there who has not yet joined the tribe of We Are Brave Together, just go to wearebravetogether.com. We welcome you to be a part of the community. We always have a chair for you. Thanks for listening, everyone.